The Athletic. Hello, I'm not Dan Bardell, I'm Holly Percival. Welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. It was great fun with Dan and Flo last week, but with Dan taking a break this week, I'll be hosting the show. But while Dan's away, we do have the other half of the regular team back, so it's hello to the Athletics Aston Villa writer, Greg Evans. How are you feeling, Greg? Hi, Holly. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you. Um, yeah, feeling much better than last week anyway. So, uh, yeah, COVID is a very real thing for people who don't think it is. Um, and, yeah, uh, it puts puts things into perspective a little bit when you're sick and ill, doesn't it? And you, you can't get out of bed and, and you realise um, that every day matters. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. Thank you. I, uh, I got the Wembley variant from the Euros final, so I definitely... Uh... Oh, really? <laughs> Felt oh, bad dear. for you when I found out that you were under the weather, so um, it's good to have you back. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be back. We've got plenty to get through today, so we'll get right into it. Um, a quick commiseration, however, to the women's team. We gave them quite the big um, showboat last week, but unfortunately a disappointing result against Reading last weekend. Here's hoping for a better run against Liverpool in the Cup, um, which hasn't happened yet for us as we are recording on a Wednesday morning. Uh, we, we did give them the big sale last week and, and unfortunately they lost 3-0 at Reading uh, not, not, a great per, not a great performance obviously a very bad result as well but I think the way they've started the season it's just probably going to be a bump in the road for them isn't it and I'm, I'm pretty confident that Carla can, can get the girls going again and um, you know put that, put that result behind them they've started really well haven't they yeah, definitely. I think they're defying a lot of odds that were probably put against them ahead of the campaign. And I think probably a cup game as their next fixture is probably a good one to kind of rebuild the confidence. Liverpool are a great championship team, but I think Villa will be looking to have a good run in the cup as well. So uh, it'll be a very exciting game. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We'll we'll, we'll keep an eye on the, on the women and, and continue to update you um, on this podcast. Right, Greg, let's get started. Uh, you're defying your illness as busy as ever, writing all sorts of stuff. Um, if the listeners haven't read to your articles yet, they can do so by subscribing to The Athletic and our podcast offer is there waiting for you. Sign up at theathletic.com forward slash villapod to get 33% off a new subscription. That's a third off a new subscription when you go to theathletic.com forward slash villapod. So Sunday, October 10th, marked three years since Aston Villa recruited Dean Smith from Brentford. And Greg, it's going pretty well so far. Yeah, Dean Smith met a, a very important milestone last week. I mean, three years at the club's quite incredible, really. I mean, think the managers that I've covered during my time uh, covering Villa and I'm pretty sure that, yeah, Martin O'Neill was, was the uh, was the last manager to be in the hot seat for longer than Smith so if if if, if Dean's in, in charge this time next year he will then become the longest serving manager since Ron Saunders I think which um, you know we all know the legacy that he left behind so yeah I mean look it's, it's incredible really to to to, to stay in a job for three years, I think these days in, in modern football is really difficult but to do what Dean Smith has done and gradually improve Villa every single year um, is even more impressive and I think he's doing a great job I, th- I think you agree don't you Holly? Yeah massively and I think um, it's quite hard to believe that since the turn of the century Villa have had 11 managers 
Um, it seems like quite a lot. And I think for Dean Smith to hold his own and stay for as long as he has already is a really positive sign considering it felt at one stage Villa were just going to be doing a Watford and throwing out every manager that ever came in constantly. So it's refreshing to see change happen in the right areas, but also keep Dean Smith and allow him to make the progress that he's made so far. So from my point of view, I I couldn't be happier. And that's slightly biased as a Villa fan, but we won't dwell on that too much. No, and I think the most important thing, well, look, the supporters are the most important thing. You know, you want the supporters to be happy at any football club because when they are, you, you know that things are going right. And, and, and it certainly feels like the, the sentiment amongst Villa fans at the moment um, is positive I think they're you know they're excited for the future um but it's also important that that the manager has the the owners back in and he certainly does have that in in the Sif Suiris and Wes Edens um you know Villa's co-owners really like the local connection that Dean's got with the club you know the fact that he grew up supporting the club his father was a steward um you know we, we most Villa fans know the backstory now um and obviously that he, that he, he you know he loves the club as well and, and wants them to win every week also helps but it's quite it's it's just so unique in football now I, I don't think you you really find um a manager who who actually supports the club and, and stays for so long I mean you had it with Chris Wilder at, at Sheffield United and, and and it didn't end up the way that Sheffield United would have hoped but there aren't many more examples, really, especially not in the Premier League. Do you think that makes his ambitions with the club even higher and, and expectations on himself and the club even higher than, say, a manager who doesn't support the, the club that they're managing? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Because it must be quite difficult because he must put more pressure on himself because, he, yeah, as you say, you know, he wants the club to, to succeed. He probably is at the the best job that he could have ever imagined really I mean if you're a, if you're a Villa fan gr- growing up you know you, you want to play and, and, and manage that club so the fact that he's there now he, he, probably in his own head he probably thinks well I, I can't get a better more enjoyable job yeah he could probably progress and, and become manager of an even bigger club perhaps or even the country Um one day, which I which I discussed and, and mentioned briefly, uh, although to much criticism in the, in the, in the three year anniversary piece that I've written, um, I, I, I wanted to speak to some of some of Dean's old staff members and, and players who played alongside him just to get some thoughts from them. And um, it, it was Kevin McDonald who uh, used to work in Aston Villa's academy who said that the way Dean's going. You know he should be considered to be the next the next England manager as and when they decide to replace Gareth Southgate, um, and that that certainly wasn't me pushing Dean Smith to be the England manager. But I think, you know, we can all agree that he he would be one of the ones that would be in contention for it, or certainly one of the the um, managers that um, the FA would 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 be would be looking at because he's English and and he's done a very good job at Villa. But yeah, for now, his his aim is to get Villa into Europe. I think that's what. I remember, I remember the very, very first press conference. Um, he's unveiling, and, and he said, "You know, this club needs to be in Europe at some point." He didn't put a time frame on it, but um, you know, the, the way the way that they've developed and progressed in recent years is quite amazing. And they're not actually that far off getting into Europe now, are they? Yeah, I feel like not finishing within the top 10 would be a disappointment for Dean Smith and his staff. Um, They want progress every year and progress is finishing in the top 10 and already that puts you so close to a European place now with the new um, 
formation of of the diff- various cups. So I think the thing I've noticed among Villa fans is when you lose, and I think the Spurs loss um, a couple of weeks ago is a prime example of this. When Villa lose, Villa fans are frustrated because they know Villa can do better and be better and achieve big things. So there is that initial criticism of, oh, I can't believe we've lost, but it's because Villa fans, the staff, the players know and expect better and know that one result to the stage they want to get to can impact you know, the chances of European football or finishing inside the top 10. That's how important each each win is to, to secure in a place that high up in the table. So I think outside the top 10 would be massively disappointing to Dean Smith and, and the progress that him and the club have made. Yeah, I think so. I think th- this season he, he will want to finish in that top half. Um, that will be seen as progression again. Um, whether Villa are quite good enough to, to get there um, and finish in the top six or seven, uh, you know, remains to be seen. Yeah, they had a great result against Man United, but when and lost at, at Tottenham. Um, so you know the inconsistencies are are still there a little bit, and it's still very early days in the season, isn't it? You know, we've we've still got to um, see see Villa against plenty of other teams to see how they stack up. But I think it's going to be an exciting ride, and and, and that's the most important thing for now. What do you think? would be the thing that Villa need to look to improve at the moment that would mean that they can have those kind of more consistent moments and win those games that puts them higher up the table? I think it is just just finding a consistency. It seems that... Um... There's been a there's been a few changes to the formation this season, which which we haven't seen much in in recent years. Um, a, a lot of the a lot of the reader questions that I, that I asked for on on Twitter uh, this week, a lot of the questions were about the formation. You know, what way do we see Villa playing in the future? What way do we see the best way forward? Um, it's quite hard to to say because I think Dean Smith wants his Villa side to be a little bit unpredictable this season. That's why they signed. Um, the likes of Ashley Young so that Villa can play with wing-backs. Um, they, they signed another defender so that they can play with three really good centre-halves if needed. Um, and then Dean obviously wanted two strikers up front and he's never really been able to have that with no disrespect to Wesley and, and Keenan Davis. They haven't quite been able to offer um, what he wanted as a, as a second striker up there. So Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins looks like a good partnership, although it hasn't quite flourished yet. So I think for Villa, what what they need to find is a consistency. They need to... Um, it, look, enough, enough good performances eventually produce enough good results. So Dean's always said this. If, if the performances are good, then he's confident that the team will get the results. And it just feels like they're going to have a great performance against... Man United but then they were exposed a little bit against Tottenham and if they're going to go to that next level they need to find that consistency Um, and it's just not quite there yet. For me it needs to be kind of fine-tuning that that desire and willingness to attack more. I remember going to the Villa games when I was younger with my granddad and he would just be like this is such boring football because we used to just sit back and kind of only attack when the time felt right and now it feels like we're always trying to make the right move and go on the attack and go on the forward. And I think that's why the, the back three or back five, how you prefer to, um, however you prefer to refer to it, is so much more exciting. And I think Dean Smith ta- is going to take some time to get it right if he wants to use that as his main formation. Um, but it seems like a move in the right direction for Villa and, and where they want to go um, within this season and, and future seasons. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's so, so difficult, isn't it? Because you've got to get that balance of 
been hard to play against and, and break down um, and having that tight plat- that tight solid platform where you don't concede and you don't offer up too many chances to the opponents but then also be able to express yourselves get forward create entertain the fans and get the goals that are effectively going to get you the wins um, so it's really just finding the balance and I think that Villa are just maybe one or two players still off that I do think they need a very very good solid central um, defensive midfielder who can um, act as more of a shield for the defence and then allow the forward players a little bit more freedom. I think what we see with John McGinn when he plays in a more attacking role for Scotland is that he gets a lot more goals, a lot more opportunities um, and we don't quite see that enough for Villa and I think that could be an area where if they had a really solid defense, defensive midfielder that they could allow John McGinn to push up forward and, and create more in the attacking areas. Um, so maybe that's something they need to look at in, in future transfer windows. The Spurs defeat kind of highlighted that as well. Son was able to have a lot of space out wide and in the middle um, without kind of having that shield. And it was there was a lot for Douglas Louise to do on the day. So I'm hoping that Dean Smith has kind of got that at the forefront of his mind come January or next summer. Um, after reading your piece on the three years of Dean Smith, I've been dying to ask you what your favourite moment has been under Dean Smith so far. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. Um... I suppose personally the the most enjoyable moment was the the promotion winning season um you know the the 10 game winning run there, there were some fantastic memories from from that run um blues away sheffield wednesday away rotherham away was incredible um you know all part of that run and then obviously the the promotion that the, the final was brilliant the celebrations after so yeah on a personal note that was probably the most enjoyable from a working point of view I think the most impressive period under Smith would be uh, Project Restart. Now, I think he took a little bit of criticism in that first season because he didn't tighten Villa up quickly enough and they were just left a little bit exposed. And I remember a period around December and January they were conceding too many goals and, and uh, we went to Leicester away and, and, and Villa lost 4-0 and I, and I was really, really concerned for Smith, I thought he would lose his job if they um, ended up playing Chelsea in the next game. But then COVID hit. Then it was Project Restart, and and what he re- what he did to the methods he used to bring the squad together, um, and then to also tighten them up to, to to enable them to get the results that they needed to stay up was so impressive, and um, it really was a mark of how astute how astute he is as a manager. Um, so yeah, those are probably the, the the two sort of standout periods in 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 his reign. Those are definitely up there for me. I think the only other weird one for me would be staying up on the last day of the season. Um, in a weird way, I I feel like it unified the team and kind of embodied what Villa have been working towards. And it was it just already felt like it was going to be the start of something new and the start of real progress for Villa because I think if you can survive that first season and you know not blame each other as players and as coaching staff then I think there's a real sense of togetherness and I think that that definitely happened for Villa on that last day of the season and I mean I was like curled up in a corner nearly throwing up watching the game (laughs) but it was it was definitely a highlight for me because I think it just showed how important each player is to Villa and to Dean Smith and it never at one moment felt like it was about one player more than the other which was is from like a personal point of view, all I want from a team that I support. So um, that was definitely a key moment for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think think Smith's gone on to say that um, 
if supporters had been inside the London Stadium that day, that would have been his most proudest moment as, as, as the Villa manager. So it's just a shame that fans weren't allowed in during Project Restart because there were some really memorable moments. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So off of the back of an exciting three years with Dean Smith and the first team, the youth system is also being put into great shape. Cameron Archer is one of the latest talented teenagers to kind of really take the spotlight. He scored a hat-trick in September's Carabao Cup victory over Barrow and then scored a hat-trick again against Burton Albion a few weeks later. He's been a very exciting player to break into the first team, isn't he, Greg? And you wrote a profile on him very recently on the Athletics website. Yeah, another one, another one off the production line. Spoken about a lot of strikers over the years coming coming through the Villa ranks. Some have made it, some haven't. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, it sounds sounds simple, but the key for a striker coming through is to keep scoring goals, and and Cameron Archer is certainly doing that. Um, but he snuck a little bit under the radar. You know, he probably wasn't one of the players that that um, supporters supporters certainly were expecting to come through. But he had, an, he had a really impressive pre-season. Um, if, if you read the article that, that I wrote, um, it went into a lot more detail about that. So that, that, that's on The Athletic um, and just explains sort of how he got into the reckoning. Um, and then, he, you know, he, sc- he scored that hat-trick at, at Barrow uh, in front of the TV cameras. And that was just before... Uh, the, the transfer deadline day and he'd spent last season on loan at, at Solly or Moors um, and it was actually Richard Beale who used to be his under 18 coach at Villa who who, who then worked at Solly or Moors who, who called him in and said look you know we, we really want you um, there, are, there are some thoughts from Richard Beale in, in that article that I mentioned as well so, so go and have a read of that um, but when he, when he scored the hat trick at Barrow, there were lots of clubs that were interested in him, and and he decided no, it's not for me now. I'm I'm not going out on loan again. I feel like I'm good enough to make an impact in this Villa team, and he's certainly showing that now. Yeah, I mean, scoring hat tricks is is like a regular occurrence for him now, which is ridiculous for the age that he is at. Um, and he won Premier League Player Two of the Month uh, last month, if I'm correct in that. So I think that that's showing he is showing how important he is to the youth team and how he can transfer that across to the senior team as well. Um, 
do you think he's kind of jumped the queue in terms of being next in line as that kind of substitute striker that comes on if Watkins and Ings is is tired or, you know, one of them picks up an injury during a game? Yeah, certainly do. I think that if you look at the bench that he's alongside now, you've got Emi Buendia, who's the record signing. You've got Anwar El Ghazi, who scored so many goals for Villa. Um, Bertrand Traore, who I feel is a player that can make a big impact for Villa when he comes off the bench and if he starts. But then Archer is somebody who Smith is actually turning to. You know, he's come on against Tottenham. He came on against Man United. Um, you know, these are massive Premier League games, really important games. Um, and, and Dean Smith showing faith in him to bring him on, even if it's for a few minutes, um, you know, to hopefully come and snatch something at the end. And then you've got these senior players who are sitting on the sidelines now with, with, with a 19-year-old getting on ahead of him. And with Keenan Davis out injured, I think Archer has jumped ahead of him because... What he's doing is whenever he's given an opportunity, whether it's in the, the Papa John's Trophy, whether it's playing for the under-23s, whether it's in the Carabao Cup, he's um, he's coming on and scoring goals and, and making an impact. And unfortunately, Davies, for all his hard work and, and um, other attributes, doesn't score enough goals. So that's what Archer's got in his favour now. And, and, and you know, there's no better thing than a striker who can score goals. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah, 100%. And I think my favourite thing is is in the few times I've seen him play, that when he comes on as a substitute against defenders who are already tired and have been worn down, is he's not the tallest, but he's definitely one of the quickest. And he will put pressure on that defensive line until the full-time whistle goes. And I'm, that header against Chelsea in, in the Cup last month, was I was massively surprised at, at how high he got up for that header and, and placed it so perfectly. Um, so... From for 19 years old and to have that kind of vision for goal so quickly and, and so effortlessly it reassures me that if Ings isn't available or Watkins isn't available or there needs to be a rotation I'm confident that the bench has better options now um, than you know before the Dean Smith era when we were at times struggling to get any form of goals and, and rely on any form of substitutes Yes, yeah, certainly um, in my story I suggested I kind of put the suggestion it does has he done enough to now start against Wolves and a few supporters said yeah you know let's give him a go but then other supporters said let's be realistic here um you know this is a, a young striker who who we're now asking to come ahead of two very seasoned experienced Premier League players um so yeah we, we, we probably can't get too carried away um I'd love to see Archer given the go because I think that in every game that he's played, he's made an impact. Um, speaking to people who have coached him, they say he's, he's really in control of his finishing. Um, so when he gets the opportunity, more often than not, he takes those chances. There were a couple of opportunities at Chelsea where he, he tried to dink it over the goalkeeper, um, but Kepa um, was aware of that and, 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 and kept him at bay. But then, as you say, Holly, yeah, that, that header was fantastic. You know, The fact that for such a short guy was able to, to show that he's, he's good in the air as well. Um, it feels like he's got a lot, a lot to his game, and it'd be really interesting to see how Villa use him. Yeah, and I think the other great thing is, I think against Spurs, Villa were quite set in their ways, almost about trying to get the ball in the air through a cross or through a corner to try and score. Um, but when they did mix that up, and Ings could put a through ball into to target who put the ball across the goal to Watkins, it showed that Villa can have success when the ball is played through on the ground more. And I think 
as a substitute or as in the starting 11, Archer kind of offers that as an option more with those three balls and trying to get in between the centre-backs. So I think it's just that versatility and that difference compared to what Ings and Watkins are potentially working on as a pair that will be kind of key for Villa when they need a substitute to come on and make a, a, a late impact or, you know, change things up and surprise a team with what the starting 11 will be and, and add a different um, level of threat to a defensive line that might be unprepared if facing Archer. Um, for those who haven't seen Archer play yet, who does he remind you of, Greg? Um, I think he does remind me a little bit of like Vassell. Um, you know, he, work, he works quite hard and, 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 and has that element of, of, of Vassell's game to him. But I, I don't want to pinpoint a, a particular player. I'm sorry if that's a bit of a cop-out. Um, <laughs> I just think he, he's very much his own man and, and very much... Um, somebody who's who sort of created a, a style of, of of his own. Really, there aren't too many that players that that he actually reminds me of at, at Villa. Um, we, we had this when Louis Barry scored um, uh, against Liverpool in, in in the FA Cup, and a lot lots of players, uh, lots of people were saying, "Oh, he's like a bit like a young Michael Owen, isn't he?" Um, I think it's important to not put a tag on them and and just sort of let them develop themselves and, and create their own style. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing with, with Archer is that he's the youngest of four brothers. That The Express and Star did a fantastic article where they interviewed um, some, of, um, some of some of his family members, some of his brothers, and um, that will really keep him grounded because a couple of his brothers are, are older than him and, and have played at sort of different levels. Um, so they know what football's about and they know how... You know, important this opportunity is for him, and that he just stays grounded, continues to work hard. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Finally, and I'm so happy to say this, it's the return of the Premier League after the international break and the visit of local rivals Wolverhampton Wanderers. To spice things up a bit, we thought we'd ask the Athletics Wolves writer Tim Spears to join us. Hello, Tim. Hello, guys. How are you? Good. Ready to ready to spice things up for the uh, 
for the for the for the Twitter derby. Is that is that what we're calling it? The social media derby. It's not really a proper derby, but you know, we'll pretend it is. Can you spice things up with walls? Uh this season, yes. You you would be surprised surprised to hear. Uh th- things are a bit spicy this season. We're at, at, actually quite entertaining to watch. So yeah, good spice levels. I am excited to hear about this spice, Enos. <laughs> Before we get into that though, um Greg wrote an article on Johan Lang is my pronunciation of it. My, probably my awful Brummie accent is not helpful with that. Um, he doesn't feature in many headlines, but he has been a big part of Villa's recent recruitment drive. Um, Tim, we understand he had a, um, a low profile with Wolves. Um, what is your kind of like memory of him at, at the club? None. Not, <laughs> literally, <laughs> if, you want, if you want anecdotes or, or stories, you know, we're, we're not going to get very far here. I think when he rocked up at Villa, I sort of recognised his name and then I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> he used to be employed by the <laughs> club I've followed for 30 years. Um, yeah, it was sort of indicative of of, uh, of that of that time really. Stoller Solbach and came and came and went within six months. And as as Greg, I think, mentioned in his in his excellent piece, uh, I've I've spoke to Wolves players from that time as well who just don't really remember anyone really from from, from the backroom team. Um I think they had they had some good ideas at the time and the idea was to follow up on Mick McCarthy and, and bring in, um, you know, more of a cultured style of football in the championship, but with players who weren't used to playing that way. And um, I thought there was there was quite a lot of promise in it, but um, but Steve Morgan uh, sort of bottled it really after, after five, six months, worried that they were going to get sucked into a relegation battle. And, um, and off they went. And, you know, Solbach has done well elsewhere and now Lang's doing very well at Villa. So, yeah. And uh, he's helped bring in quite a few um, big names for Villa in recent years. Emmy Wendia, Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, Matty Cash, just to name a few. He's been pretty uh, influential for Villa, hasn't he, Greg? Yeah, I think, um, you know, look, he, he was the assistant manager at, at Copenhagen. That's where he started. And then he moved to Wolves as the assistant manager. And, and, and obviously, as Tim mentioned, you know, he didn't really have much of an impact um, purely because of the, you know, it was just the time at Wolves. It, it, was, it was just a bit of a... Um, you know, the, the club was just struggling, as Tim will go into more detail at some point, I'm sure. But he sort of reinvented himself and, and became a technical director, went to Copenhagen and, and signed, helped sign quite a lot of players that, that in, increased in value, improved in quality and then were sold on for a profit. So Villa sort of seen that and thought, well, can, can he do that for us? Can, can he help identify players that can come in first and foremost make the team better but then grow in value and potentially be sold on for, for a profit in the future and um, you know the, the, look he, he, his first signings officially were you know Emmy, Emmy Martinez Ollie Watkins the two of those there was a lot of groundwork that had already been put in first so in, in my piece, I mentioned that he played a bit of you know heavy role in Bertrand Traore coming in, Matty Cash, Morgan Sanson was a player that he specifically highlighted and, and thought would would come to Villa, and and um, the reason they signed him in January rather than in the summer was because they thought they could get him for a lower price. So um, yeah, look, and, and this summer's signings look really impressive, don't they? I think it's I think it was it was quite clever that they they recognised that. They couldn't find a, a direct replacement for Jack Grealish, so they thought that they would buy two or three players who could fit into his position and then hopefully contribute throughout the season. Um, so yeah, look, he'll live and die by his signings at Villa, um, and and so far they've been very good. 
I'm kind of frustrated that Leon Bailey won't be able to feature against Wolves this weekend because I feel like it would kind of be Leon Bailey versus Adama Traore and, and who performs better on the day kind of situation. Um, Tim, do you feel confident uh, with Wolves this weekend having come off the back of a win over Newcastle? Um, I mean, you mentioned Traore, but he's only played half an hour the last two matches. He's sort of been um, taken out of the team um, and, you know, the spider sense is tingling inside me that he's, he's kind of going through contract negotiations at the moment and, and the last time he stalled on signing his new contract he was dropped and um it was quite odd he didn't play at the weekend but um but yeah um francisco trincao who's on loan from barcelona he's um he's contracted covid during the international break so i'd imagine traore will will come in this weekend um it should be a really interesting game i think um i think it's a really it'll be a really different wolves team to one that villa villa fans will have seen in the past um not so much in personnel because it's pretty much the same eleven, but in style. Um, Bruno Large's remit when he came in was was to make Wolves more attacking and more entertaining. After a miserable season last last yeah, I mean it was just just awful. Like you throw in no fans, I was I was just like you know glut of punishment every week. It was just dire nil nils one nils, boring football. You know they muddled their way to thirteenth. So. After Nuno left, Lars, yeah, like I said, Lars's remit was to really sort of um, unleash Wolves' undoubted attacking talents, who were being sort of stunted last season. So, um, so yeah, Wolves have um, Wolves are really high up on the charts for for shots and chances created, but not goals. It just hasn't quite clicked for them yet. But um, but if they if they take the game to Villa like they have done quite a few teams this season, then um, then they'll get some joy. I think. I mean, they've they've won the last two away from home. Villa are good at home, so it should be a really good game. I, I covered, didn't I, for you, Tim? I covered the uh, Southampton and Wolves game. And, and what a uh, fine job you did, mate. It's very, very good. <laughs> for the first 45 minutes, I was thanking my lucky stars that I actually covered a club that played football um, because Southampton <laughs> were terrible and Wolves were almost as bad. So, um, But the second half came to life and obviously Raul got his goal and um, we decided to, to write about the goalkeeper at, at that point. I think you did a piece, didn't you, this week? He's made a an interesting impact, hasn't he? Can you talk to us a bit about him? Yeah. Um, so it was it was sort of a classic George Mendes uh, swap deal in the summer. So Rui Patricio, uh, Portugal's number one, just reached 100 caps. You know, done a done a, a you know pretty solid job for Wolves for three years. Left for Roma to join up with um, Jose Mourinho. And in return, Wolves got, well, Patricio's a Mendes client and he's Portuguese and Wolves in return got a Mendes client who's Portuguese, which happens all the time, obviously, as people will know. Um, but Jose Sarr hasn't, hasn't been capped by Portugal. So on the face of it, you're getting a downgrade, really. You know, a guy from a, who's got 100 caps to one who hasn't got any and isn't even in the squad. But um, but what he's done is he's, he's changed the way that Wolves play, <clears throat> sort of indicative of, of this sort of front foot style that they've got, really. So uh, lots of quick distribution, lots of... Um, of keeper sweepings, as as Opta define it, he's he's done eight keeper sweepings this season. Basically, coming rushing from his line to get the ball, um. But Patricio only did ten in three seasons, and that's that's not necessarily that because he can't do it, but just because Wolves used to play a deep line, a low block. Their running stats were really low, particularly last season under Nuno. That's all changed now. It's it's more high intensity. It's a higher press. Um, they're moving the ball quicker. You know, Greg mentioned the Southampton game, which <laughs> probably shouldn't say this is Wolves' um, 
correspondent, but I was on holiday and I had had a few drinks the night before. I actually fell asleep during that game because it's so bad. <laughs> Not surprised, mate. Watching it on Sky, <laughs> it's terrible. But um, but basically, just to give a quick summary, like Wolves started the season on on fire in their first three games against tough opposition in Leicester, Spurs, Man United. They actually outplayed all three for long spells. Um, and after three matches, only Liverpool had had more shots. You know, Wolves, Wolves were really, really going for it. Very entertaining football, but they lost all three, one nil. Just weren't scoring. So what what he's done, Bruno Lage, in the last few games, easier fixtures on paper against Watford, Brentford, Southampton and Newcastle, in which they've got nine points from 12. Um, he's just added a bit more of a balance, really. The wing-backs are a bit deeper now. They're less, they're less sort of all-out attack playing with a little bit more caution. Um, so they're trying to get that balance between um, between freedom and caution at the moment. Um, and yeah, it's 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 worked for them the last couple of games. I mean, they edged past a, a dreadful Newcastle team uh, just for the international break. Um, there were Wolves were kind of sat on their 18-yard line for the last 20 minutes, you know, for no reason. It was unnecessarily nervy, but they just need to get some results on their board, hone their style, hone their first 11 because he doesn't know it yet. Um, but there's definitely a lot of promise there. I mean, you know, Wolves should be looking at the top half with the squad they've got, definitely. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Villa, you know, set up and 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 whether they change the formation this week and uh, to combat what you've just mentioned there for uh, Wolves' qualities and um, weaknesses, maybe. But we, we, me and Holly, we've spoke a bit about formation. It's, it's hard to know what they're going to turn to. But I mean, what 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 Tim? What do you think? Where do you think Villa could look? I know you obviously want Wolves to do well, but where do you think Villa could get at Wolves, so to speak? Where where are the, where are the weaknesses that they could maybe exploit this at the, at the weekend? You can definitely bully them in mid in midfield. I think that's always been a weakness of of Wolves is really since in the past in the past um, three and a bit seasons. You know Neves and Matinho in midfield. They're obviously fantastic on the ball. They're both technically gifted, really. Um, and while Neves, well, while they can both stick their foot in, they're not the most mobile. You know, Matinho's what thirty five now, and Neves Neves isn't, isn't the quickest or the most athletic, which is why I think he's still at Wolves. Really, you know, he's he's um, he's a sitter. He can spray passes. He can stick his foot in, but he but he's not very mobile. So you, you can't you can overrun Wolves in, in midfield. Sorry to put into it. It's quite interesting because I think Holly, we, we we've talked about the midfield, haven't we? We don't quite know who 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 we'd put in there. Who we think is the strongest three. I mean, you got any thoughts, Holly? Because you, you covered the last game, didn't you? Yeah, I think. What I would like to see is a bit more reservation in midfield from Villa. I think playing Nakamba in the starting eleven would allow kind of that shield in the defensive line a little bit more and then kind of allows John McGinn to, to run riot in the midfield and kind of do what he's been doing for Scotland, but for Villa in terms of having more success in front of goal. Um, and then if, you know, Villa are losing or drawing and want to get that full three points, then make the change to go slightly more attacking by bringing on Ramsey. So I think... The, like Tim Spurt said, based off of how Villa played in the game against Spurs, getting that midfield control and not having as many errors in midfield will be key um, as to kind of who can dominate possession and kind of have the better attacking um, threats this weekend. So for me, I'd like to quite see Nakamba um, in the starting eleven this weekend. Yeah, interesting. Should we should we finish on some score predictions? And um, it's been nice having Tim on. I presume he won't want to come on next week when Villa win four 0 But <laughs> that's your prediction. <laughs> I'm going for four 0 <laughs> It's just ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> Tim. Are you actually? 
I actually am. Yeah. <laughs> Fancy him. You're going to put your money where your mouth is, are you, mate? I'm that's, not that's a betting man bold. anymore, Tim. I'll, I'll, I'll oversee this bet right now if we want that. <laughs> I'm, I'm game. It's, it's, clearly, it's clearly just not going to happen. Uh, it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fe- it'll be feisty. It'll be feisty in the stands as well. I can't remember the last time, uh, Greg, you might know, that Wolves Villa kicked off at three o'clock because it's always, it's either on telly or it's moved, you know, by Westminster's Police for an early kickoff because they can be pretty rowdy. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good good shout that. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's good for the fans. Hopefully they all behave themselves and, and go and enjoy the game. Um, but look, you know, they've, they've been away for a long time. So it's nice to have a three o'clock kickoff as well, isn't it? And, and as you say, derbies don't happen very often. Um, quite interesting, really, in the Midlands, isn't it? We've Birmingham West Brom on Friday and Villa Wolves on Saturday. It doesn't really happen very often, does it? Those two games coming so close to each other. No, that's true. Um, yeah, and it's like we like we were saying before we started. It's it's not it's not a proper derby, and we, I think we've we've spoken about this on on the pod last season as well. I think it was me and Dan actually, Greg, um, and I've written an article about it. You know, it's it's sort of a, it's sort of a social media derby. You know, c- certainly in my lifetime, Wolves Villa was never a, a derby, mostly because they didn't play each other. Um, but with the with the with the title race in what was it seventeen eighteen, it, it it did get a bit sort of nasty, but but sort of just on Twitter really. It's just it's not a proper proper derby, but it will it will still. Be, I mean, you know, we've got to make the most. Of it. It's the only one we've both got this season, um, and uh, yeah, it's going to finish one all, obviously, because these games always do. Hello. <laughs> My prediction. Yeah. Oh, I don't want to be as harsh as you and go for 4-0, but I think a clean sheet um, will be um, the minimum requirement for Villa, so I, I'd go 2-0. Like it. I think that's a little bit fairer, isn't it, Tim? Well, to know, there's, a lot, there's a, lot of confidence, a lot of confidence here. Uh, you know, it, it is a Villa podcast, Tim. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> fair. I mean, Wolves, Wolves will click at some point. I've seen them play some fantastic football um, and only score five goals, I think, so far. So it, it will click. But um, but yeah, I think Villa, with Villa being so strong at home, uh, one all is, and that's not me sitting on the fence. That's that's literally just a fact that it's going to finish one all. Nice to have you on, Tim. Thank you. Nice one. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Cheers, guys. So, Greg, you've been asking for some questions from listeners. Um, Deck Glynn has asked about um, Matt Target not fitting into the system. Do we give him the, a good majority of the season to try and fit in, or do we look for a replacement in January? Um, yeah, I think look, Villa are, Villa are looking at left backs. Um, the fact that they've only really got Matt Target as the as the senior left back, Ashley Young, you know, he's thirty six years old, so he's not the future. Villa are definitely looking at left backs now. Um, somebody who can come in in the future and, and um, could compete with Matt Target. I think he had a great season last season. I think this season's been a not not as good so far, but absolutely no reason to get rid of him yet or, or ditch him I think he's a big part of this Villa team um, I'd stick with him I was devastated that the fullback to fullback goal didn't quite go to plan against Manchester United that would have been very good to see um, Jack Miller has asked us um, about the takeover at Newcastle this week um, what would be kind of the, the line in the sand in terms of ownership or partners that would kind of stop you going to Villa Park Greg Um yeah, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? I'm gonna put I'm gonna put this one back on you, Holly. Just as as a supporter, I mean, I suppose, uh, just me speaking generally, I think supporters they 
they want the fairy tale, don't they? So if 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 an owner comes in and spe- and he's promising to spend lots of money and make them a much better team, it's very very easy to like that and jump on it. And um, you know, it's it's unfair to to a supporter to say because the owner um, is doing this this and this, you, you can't follow the club anymore that you've supported all your life. That that's just you know, it's never going to happen. But I think supporters they probably need to dig a little bit deeper into what the owners. Um, you know, actually are what what they've done in the past because they are the actual custodians of the football club now. Um, so it's important to know that. But it, it's a really, really good question from Jack Miller, but it's a really difficult one to answer because, um, you know, of, of the love that supporters have for the club. It's, it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, how can you say stop supporting the club that you've supported all your life because of, you know, the owner? It's just so difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I, 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 again, this might be slightly biased, but I think Villa has one of the best fan bases in terms of loyalty and, and commitment to the team. Um, and that's shown by attendances at home games and away games and just a general support for the for the club. And I, Jack Pitbrook wrote a really great piece um, kind of reacting to the new owners at Newcastle. And it's definitely worth a read on the Athletics website. And there was a line in it that kind of really resonated with me, which was, you can support a team on the pitch without supporting the club off the pitch and I think that that's really important in terms of finding that balance I would still want to go down to Villa Park and, and support the team and, and the results that they're getting on the pitch but I feel like you could be um, kind of hesitant in showing support to the owners and, and what they're doing with the club as long as it's still in the right direction and I think it's making sure that everything they do is in the right direction and if it's something that you disagree with then it should be a discussion that's had between fans and with the club and I think Villa are great in starting to listen to their fans more and have more inclusivity um, in all areas of the club so I think it's Villa for me or a club that I could trust that if they were to change owners it would be the right people and they'd have the right ideas in mind but unfortunately with football money buys results um, and it, or at the very least buys good players so I wouldn't want a club to be fully focused on the financial element and financial success. Um, you know, I want to make sure that they're kind of reinvesting it in the club and to the wider community. But I think that line of supporting a team on the pitch without supporting the club is is a really important line to to be considering as a fan if a new takeover happens at any club and and kind of the morals and and ideas from those owners. Yeah, I think you've answered that really well. Yeah, probably better than I could answer it. So thank you for taking that <laughs> one on. And sorry, sorry, Jack, I didn't um, address it because I, I know you're a big fan of the podcast. And, and thank you for uh, not asking us about Villa players dressed up as James Bond characters. We, we much preferred <laughs> your first question. Thank you, Jack. And thank you to everyone who uh, did send questions in. Um, hopefully we'll look to get through some more questions uh, in the not too distant future. Um, also when Dan Bardell has returned from his little holiday break. That is it for us today. Thank you to Tim Spears and to Greg. Thank you to all out there who are listening and thanks to everyone who pitched in with questions. Until next time, and it makes me very happy to say this, up the villa. Athletic.